Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you to share an author interview and to talk about this week's new releases. So we are going to hear an interview with author Patty Callahan today. This is about Surviving Savannah, which came out last year but was re-released in paperback in 2022. So if you're a fan of historical fiction, you will most likely be interested in this interview. So let us get right on into it with the housekeeping information. We will then hear the interview and I'll be back to talk about new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am very excited to be talking with author Patty Callahan about her novel, Surviving Savannah, which is, will be out in paperback um, when this interview releases. Patty, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Shannon. I'm so happy to be here to talk to you. This is fantastic. Can we start with a brief introduction to Surviving Savannah so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect if they haven't picked it up yet? Yes, I love talking about Surviving Savannah. So I can tell you anything you want to know. This book is inspired by and based on a very real shipwreck of a luxury steamship in the year 1838. It was carrying all of the elite of Savannah and Charleston headed north for the summer when it blew up off the coast of North Carolina. Only a third of the passengers survived and only four women survived. And there is also a modern day timeline because recently, not in fiction, in real life, they found the ship. So I have this mingling of the treasure being brought up from the bottom of the ocean and the artifacts being brought up from the bottom of the ocean in a modern day storyline while we hear from two of the women on the ship and how they survived, what became of them, if they survived, and the stories behind what they call the Titanic of the South. So this is a piece of history that I am so unfamiliar with. I did not even know this happened until I saw 
um, the blurb for Surviving Savannah. I think, you know, we all know about certain shipwrecks, like, you know, a really famous one in 1912. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> there are so many that we don't know about. So what was your, like, what sort of inspired you to tell this story? Was it the um, the, the finding of the ship or had this been something you were considering um, prior to that? When I first heard about it, I was stunned that, like you said, it was a very lost piece of history. It sailed from Savannah, Georgia, which I am very familiar with. I you know, have a place down there. My daughter went to school down there at Savannah College of Art and Design. I've spent the past 30 years on and off in the area. And I knew a lot of history about Savannah and had never heard of this. And a very wealthy Savannah family owned and financed the ship. They were actually on the ship. So when I first, when it exploded, when I first heard about it, my initial thought was, I don't write shipwreck stories. When you think of shipwreck stories, you think of these great adventures told from the captain's point of view or the, you know, the engineer's point of view. And you think of the Shackleford, which just got caught in ice and went down or nice. the heart of the sea. And yet, as I started to get this curiosity about it, this kind of tingling sensation that I get when I'm interested in a story, I began a little bit of research. And I discovered that there was a family of nine who boarded together, a wife, a husband, six children, a niece, and a sister, and their wet nurse. And they had all boarded together, and yet not all of them survived, of course. And the oh, father was the owner of the ship. So I became oh. a little bit interested. And then while I was doing my research and deciding whether to write it, I pinged upon a headline that said, Endurance Exploration has discovered the SS Pulaski, 100 feet deep, 30 miles off the coast of North Carolina, with gold, silver, artifacts, treasure. And I knew that it was time for this story, that any resistance I had had to the story was waiting for this discovery so yes. that we could meld this modern day storyline along with this historical storyline and feel how they knit together and hold old Savannah up to new Savannah, both of them complicated and yet so fascinating. So I did not, Chan, and I did not know about the discovery of the ship when I first started my research, but they happened around the same time. My interest in the story and their discovery of the ship happened very nearly at the same time. So can we talk a little bit about that research? Like how how difficult was it to find information on what is really, you know, as you say, a lost piece of history or has been up until, you know, kind of its reemergence here? Yeah, there's been this fascinating reemergence because now the ships of the Sea Maritime Museum in Savannah this summer will have the, a huge um, artifact display and an opening so people can come hear the story. There had not even been a full manifest of the ship made until I started this book. 
and I pulled together all the lists and passenger names so that we could have a full manifest of the ship. So we now can have a full exhibition of the ship. But the research, Shannon, oh, lowered on high. It was, <laughs> I, I often say, you know, and the answer is always yes, but I often say, I wonder if I had known what it was going to take if I would have written the story. Um, because it wasn't my normal kind of research, which is primary source reading materials. When I have written about real people or real events, I have, you know, used primary source material from the person or time I'm writing about, but there just wasn't anything that I could find for this story. There was no seminal book about it. There was a few chapters in other books, like a book about shipwreck disasters or steamship disasters or uh, the family. The, the family I wrote about and fictionalized is a very real family called the Gazaway Bug Lamar family. You cannot make up that name. And <laughs> no, you cannot. And there are some books about his family that have, you know, a chapter about about this disaster. But this was a very boots on the ground research, meaning museums, curators, um, family historians, the Georgia Historical Society, old newspapers, old accountings, old speeches. And of course, in 1838, we didn't yet. We were on the cusp, but we did not yet have photography. So there's no photos. And I'd never written about a time period where I couldn't go through photos and see what it looked like and felt like. So what I had to rely on in many ways, and and I've always loved them, but museums, the 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 ship model, right? The antebellum home, the slave quarters. These are things that have been preserved in Savannah for visual storytelling that I could not get in a book. I couldn't flip through a book and see pictures of the ship or the passengers or the people or even the streets and homes of 1838 in Savannah. There are drawings and etchings and paintings, of course. But this was a very boots on the ground. A lot of interviews, a lot of um, reading about other shipwrecks. But this ship, they don't even have the blueprint that they had or used to build the ship. And the accountings of the women I wanted to follow, there was one first-person accounting, and that was it, one, one. from a woman's point of view. So I relied very heavily on the things I could find that were real and solid and existed and weren't made up. There are a number of newspaper articles, like 100 years later, that make up these romantic stories about people on the ship who, when you do the hard research into newspapers, they never existed. So like anything from the 1800s, this mythology kind of arises from the stories. And I had to separate the mythology from the facts. So without being able to, you know, use some of the things that you would normally use when writing a book like this, how did you kind of come to know your character, especially the characters that would have you know, existed in 1838? I did a lot of 
research and reading of women's accountings of the early 1800s, not just women who were on the ship, but what their lives were like in 1830s, what what it was like to be married to, say, a plantation owner or a banker or a financier, what the mores and expectations were of women in 1830s. And there are some books of first-person accountings of that. And then there's, of course, the first-person accounting The man who owned the ship, his sister, Rebecca Lamar, wrote a first-person accounting of that night and the five days and five nights she floated at sea. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Five days and five nights she floated at sea, along with a few other people. And so I had those accountings. And then from there, I did what I always do with my characters is that I spend some time imagining what they want. I mean, obviously to live, why they want it, (laughs) but also in their life. What did she want before she even got on that ship? What did she want before she even walked up that gangplank and, and boarded a ship for what she thought would be an easy, only one night at sea, luxurious sail to, to Baltimore what what did she come on that ship wanting, needing, and what had she planned for her life? And so I spent a lot of time, that is what makes this fiction, is, is the facts are true. What happened from the minute that ship left port to the minute it sank in the Atlantic, everything is 100% factual. And yet I have to imagine what my characters were thinking and feeling I knew what they were going through because there were accountings of how the ship went down. But each person walks onto a ship or into an experience or into a story with their own desires and needs and ghosts. And that was the kind of thing, Shannon, that I would just spend a lot of pre-time imagining who they are and what they want and why they're even on that ship. For example, it is well documented that Rebecca in real life did not want to go on that journey. She had a bad feeling about it. And then she went anyway, because her brother talked her into it. So those are the kind of backstory things that I really dive deep, deep into before I even start the writing. Maybe I'll use this as an example the next time I don't want to listen to one of my brother's ideas. There you go. I just Bad gave you full happen. permission. Yeah. <laughs> Bad things happen when you listen to your brother. There you go. I, or more importantly, don't listen to yourself. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, as as the older sister, um, I, I am always looking for ways to, you know, circumvent my little brother's uh, nifty or not so nifty ideas. Isn't that funny? You can use Rebecca Lamar now. You can say if, yes, she, I can. if she had not listened to her brother, she would not have spent five days and five nights floating at sea. Yeah, see? <laughs> that works for me. So once you kind of knew a little bit about, you know, the people that you were going to write about, was it pretty easy then to kind of slip into who they were and find their distinct voices or was it still kind of a struggle once you sat down to write? This one was a struggle. I 1838 is not a time period. I'm um, an expert. I am now, but was not an (laughs) expert on. So getting into their hearts and minds about 
so opposite than modern day. This is almost 200 years ago. Yes. Um, Savannah was a very new city and a, a very prosperous city. It was right in between the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. So it hadn't yet, you know, been been through war um, or some of its fires. And it was a very prosperous time, but also a very complicated time because slavery was legal. Yes. Importing slaves was no longer legal, but buying and owning slaves was completely legal and acceptable. So getting into that mindset without without judging it from where I stand in the year 2020 when I was writing it, like, how do I how do I step back and give my characters empathy and sympathy while simultaneously and that's why it's interesting to write from the women's point of view, because they could have disagreed with what was happening in the world or on the ship. And simultaneously, there's nothing they could have done about it. Right. And yeah, so it was it, it was harder to get my head into their mindset and empathy than most of my characters. And at the same time, incredibly rewarding because. For me, writing about women who persevere and survive, because the theme that rose out of this book for me was how do we survive the surviving? And I wrote the book in 2018 and 2019, and it was finished right at the start of the pandemic. The book was done and it came out in 21. But how do we, you know, I had no idea that we collectively we're going to have to survive something and still are Shannon in many ways surviving. Yes, definitely. And now war and, and, and and how do we collectively survive such tragedy? So I wrote about how Savannah as a city would have to survive this tragedy, but also personally, how do we survive this surviving? What do we do with tragedy? How do we become, how do we become not bitter? How do we become better people? How do we take what we went through and not just say I survived and, and swish, swish, wash our hands of it, but how do we take that and, and become better people and integrate it into our lives? And, and the bigger question is about trauma. How do we integrate trauma and not become bitter, which one of the character do, does and becomes an, incred, an incredibly cruel man and does wreaks havoc on the world and on humanity. And I wanted to look at those two things. So as I slowly started to see the themes of the novel, I was able to grow into who they were. Um, And that often happens for me is I have an inkling of what it's about. But once the theme bubbles up, I can dive much deeper into their psyches and, and get deeper into the story. So do you find that your story kind of changes from like the initial draft to what we see as the finished product, or is it pretty close to kind of what you envisioned um, in your first draft? My drafts are very different. I do outline my historical fiction pretty intensely, but I don't outline the deeper issues that show up. So I often imagine it, imagine a coffee table book. And they used to do these all the time. I haven't seen them in a while, but there'd be a coffee table book and there'd be a photo of a city when it was first founded, right, with the dirt roads. And then you have these pieces of vellum that you fold over 
the original picture. And each time you add a piece of vellum with paintings or images on them, you see the city change and grow to what it is today. And I often imagine my stories like that. Here's the blueprint. I write it. And then slowly a theme emerges, slowly a relationship emerges, slowly, uh, you know, a love emerges. And I add these layers in one at a time. And I wish that I wrote it all right up front. I wish <laughs> that that's how it came to me, that that I had done so much pre-work that when I finished the first draft, I'm like, done. But it doesn't work that way for me. And I don't think it works that way for most people. Um, no, I don't think so. And I'm, I don't want to know the people that it does work that way for, to be honest. <laughs> well, no one has like come to me and said, you know, I sat down and I wrote a book and it took me a few months and then it was all done. Like I've, I've never heard anyone say that. So no, never. I think, you know, sometimes people would sort of imagine that that's, how it is like you you sit down you write you're done oh I imagined that before I wrote my first book I thought you know once you figure out the story you just write the story but for for me a first story to be richer and denser and more broad sweeping these themes and these relationships um grow as as you write um, maybe someday I'll know my story so well before I write it that it'll just pour out. And Shannon, I'll give you a call. Yes, I would like to know if that ever happens. Um, I will tell you. That's hilarious. That, that would be kind of amazing. <laughs> and then we can so, have a podcast on that. That unicorn does exist, but I'm telling you. Yes. That. Yes. Like how how that actually happened. Yes. Yes. That, that would be a beautiful thing. <laughs> so. Now that Surviving Savannah has been in the world for a while, what can readers expect next from you? Yes, the paperback just came out. And my next full-length novel, um, because I've done some anthologies and an Audible original, comes out. Oh, you did an Audible original? Yes, it's one of my favorite things I've done. I have not seen it. Oh, it's called Wild Swan, and it is narrated, Shannon, by Cynthia Erivo, the Ooh. Tony Award-winning singer and actress. Yes. Of um, She won a Tony for The Color Purple. Color Purple. She plays Harriet in the movie Harriet. She's She just got the movie role for Wicked. She's incredible. But she re- it's won all kind of awards because of her. But it is a story of Florence Nightingale. So... Oh. It's the story of who she was before she became the sainted Florence Nightingale, the lady with the lamp. It's about her life in the 1800s in England and bursting through societal and familial, too, expectations of what a nurse is. Because in the 1800s in England, nurses were considered like janitors. They were were, were low class. And I was a nurse in my first life. So I was, I've always been fascinated by her and visited her museum in London. So that story is called Wild Swan and it is a novella that's an audible original. And look for this. Yes, you do. And then in October, my book Once Upon a Wardrobe came out, which is kind of a companion piece to my novel Becoming Mrs. Lewis. 
It is about the origins of Narnia. And then in June of 2023, I have a brand new novel. And right now it is tentatively called The River Child and is set in 1940 and 1960s England. And it is the story of two sisters, one older, one younger, one 14, one five, who are sent to the country during the Blitz to live with another family. And the older sister keeps the younger sister calm and safe with this fairy tale world that she creates for her, a fairy tale world called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. And whenever her little sister gets scared or homesick, they go to this imaginary land. And during the Blitz, the little sister disappears. And 20 years later, the older sister, Hazel, is working in a rare bookshop when a manuscript and original illustrations arrive for a book called Whisperwood and the River of Stars. Oh. And you said this comes out in the summer of 23? Yes. So a little over a year from now, which is so frustrating because it's done. It's like, so now we're in production, we're in edit, copy edits and covers and, you know, all those really, you know, the things that get it in the pipeline to get it out in the world. I imagine that is kind of a weird feeling to have finished something like, you know, you know, everything about it now. Yes. And yet it's not like, it's not quite ready for like the world to see it. You have you know, all these things that like we as readers don't necessarily like even fully know before no. it can and, and, know, and come out. And for me to sit here and talk about it for the next hour, which I could, because it's such a fascinating story about, you know, fairy tales and, 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 you know, it's just, it, there's no use talking about it because it's 15 months until it, it arrives in the world. So it, it is, it's frustrating. And meanwhile, during those 15 months, while that book is in the pipeline, you're, you're going, you know, you need to start working on another one, but that one's not even out yet. So there's always this, I don't, I never write two books at the same time, but there's always this crazy overlap. I'm here talking about the paperback of Surviving Savannah while preparing for the River Child, while trying to think of the next book I want to spend the next years of my life on. So there's always this kind of bizarre five worlds in one inside my head. Now you also write... Um, under Patty Callahan Henry, is that right? Yes. And is that, those seem to be more sort of like women's fiction set in the South from what I can gather? Yes. So what happened was when I, my first 12 books were written under my full name, Patty Callahan Henry. And our 12 books. Yeah. I, I just love that like someone can sit there and say to me in this very calm, like matter of fact way, my first 12 books. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yes, my first 12 were um, written under Patty Callahan Henry, which is my full name and is are all contemporary Southern. When I wrote Becoming Mrs. Lewis, which is historical based on a very real woman who was married to C.S. Lewis, this wildly fascinating poet and um, atheist from New York who married, you know, the greatest, you know, literate, one of the greatest literary figures of the 20th century in England um, after they were pen pals for three years. 
that story was such a shift from contemporary Southern that my publishing house was nervous that, that my readers would not follow or, or, or be confused, which I just disagree. But so now, right now, what's happening is my contemporaries are my full name and my historicals are my maiden name. So do we have a contemporary release that we're looking forward to as well? No, right now, and I, you know, one never says never. Right True. now, I am, <laughs> you know, the, the one that came, I had two books last year, Surviving Savannah, Once Upon a Wardrobe. Oh, and Wild Swan was, was in that mix in 2020. And then, um, you know, the next one is historical. So that's five historicals in a row. Um, so I think I'm there for a bit, but I never say never. Beautiful, beautiful historical fiction. I agree. Since it's my favorite to read, I thought it might be my favorite to write. I was just going to ask you about that. Like, I know a lot of people who write in a specific genre, like choose not to read in that genre. So you had, I was curious to know what you read and if you thought you had kind of a a favorite reading place, like historical fiction, as you say. Uh, You know, I'm a wide and varied reader. I'm, you know, I'm I'm right now I'm reading um, One Italian Summer, which is a little bit magical realism, a little bit contemporary and and so I read all over the place but I don't restrict myself from reading my own category I know some people do but I don't I reading is nourishment it is food it is air it is water if I'm not reading uh, if I'm going to restrict myself from reading the things I love I know authors sometimes worry about you know absorbing it and accidentally copying um I'm reading so widely. I, I'm not worried about that. Maybe I should be, but you know, I, I have my ideas. So yeah, I, I read everything. So what have you read recently that you think the world should know about? Mm, one of my favorite books this year was a book called We Begin at the End by a man named oh. Chris Whitaker from England. I just yeah, thought it was sitting um, on my iPad right now. Oh, you're going to love it. It is it is an emotional ride. Um, but the main character, her name is Duchess, is so fascinating that I, you know, I, I just was completely taken by his writing. He's like I said, he's British um, by his own personal backstory, you know, because of friends in fiction. I often know the backstory behind the story, which for me makes the story even more interesting. And Chris Whitaker has an incredible backstory that led to We Begin at the End. And it just, for me, it just, it it hits all the bells for me. So I loved it. Yeah, this is one that um, I downloaded quite a while ago. And it sits in my like huge list of things, you know, that I, I hope to like someday. Read. Yeah. You're, I, you oh, will not be sorry. Books. You will call and tell me. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today and to give listeners a little bit of a glimpse into your writing and kind of who you are as as a person as well as a writer. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, I love talking to you, Shannon. That went so fast. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Before I let you dash off, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Absolutely. Um, My website has everything. It is the collection of all things PCH. So if you go to Patty Callahan or pattycallahanhenry.com, it is the same website. And it has everything from my social links to Instagram and Facebook and all the things except TikTok. I'm not not, not on TikTok. Um, I keep I thinking that TikTok. <laughs> yeah. And every podcast, it has a link to, you know, the group I'm part of called Friends in Fiction. It has links to articles I wrote and to articles that are about me and to everything is there on that website. It's a huge collection of, of all things. I rely on it. I'm like, what was that last article? And it's right there, the tip of my fingers. I have this amazing webmaster. So you can find everything you need right there. All right. So again, this has been a discussion of Surviving Savannah, which is out in paperback by Patty Callahan. Okay. So new books. As always, I'm starting with a few that you've heard us mention before. I'm starting with one of Georgina's this time. This is Take Your Breath Away by Linwood Barclay. It is a thriller. Then I am super excited about the new Lana Harper. This is From Bad to Cursed. And it is the second book in her Witches of Thistle Grove series. Kristen mentioned Twin Crowns, which is the first book in the Twin Crowns series by Catherine Doyle and Catherine Weber. This is young adult fantasy. So now I want to talk about some books that you haven't heard us mention before. And I'm going to do some mysteries and thrillers first. So Melinda Lee is releasing Dead Against Her. This is the fifth book in her Brie Taggart series. Um, I have not read the series. I've read some of her Morgan Dane books, and I'm interested in some stuff from her backlist. These are usually uh, thrillers with some romantic elements. I think originally Lee wrote um, romantic suspense mostly, but then she has kind of switched over to mysteries with romantic elements that kind of run through a series. So this is Dead Against Her, Brie Taggart, book five by Melinda Lee. We also have Long Lost Girl by Jill Childs. This is about a family who experienced the loss of a three-year-old girl. Years later, someone approaches them in a cafe claiming to be that girl. And so, of course, we're trying to figure out if she really is. This is Long Lost Girl, and it's by Jill Childs. We also have a new book. I think this is the third one by Serafina Nova Glass. It's called On a Quiet Street. This is another one of those books that takes place in like this idyllic neighborhood where everyone has secrets. You know, no one is is who they seem. This neighborhood that's supposed to be 
the perfect place to live, you know, actually is hiding some pretty dark, twisty secrets. Um, my partner has read some Serafina Nova Glass just recently, and I am looking forward to checking her out as well. So this is On a Quiet Street, and it's by Serafina Nova Glass. If you like cult books, like I do, and Brooke does, you will want to check this one out. This is The Wall. It's by L.J. Sellers, and it's about a cult that has isolated itself for 50 years and isolated itself to the point that it's almost like a sovereign like city, state, something like that, of its own, um, which, of course, leads to very bad things when laws are broken. So this is The Wall, and it's by L.J. Sellers. We also have um, What They Don't Know. This is by Susan Furlong, who is an author that I've not heard of before. I'm not sure if this is a debut for her or not, but this is the story of a woman who is leading, you know, what we think is the picture-perfect life until her son runs away from home. And this kind of brings to light a whole bunch of stuff that no one knew about this woman, her life, and her family. So this is going to be What They Don't Know, and it's by Susan Furlong. We then have The Island. This is by Adrian McKinty. I first read McKinty's work a couple of years ago when he wrote The Chain, which was a super excellent thriller. This one is another standalone, and it is about a family vacation that goes terribly wrong. And if this is anything like The Chain, it is going to be great. So this is The Island, and it's by Adrian McKinty. If you listened to the podcast um, last year, you may remember author Mae Cobb. Um, she wrote The Hunting Wives. Well, now she has another novel. This is My Summer Darlings, and it's basically three lifelong best friends, who spend the summer with this really sexy stranger. And this, of course, leads to all kinds of obsession and manipulation. I'm hoping this takes place in Texas because Cobb does such a remarkable job of bringing Texas to life on the page. So this one is My Summer Darlings, and it's by May Cobb. Let's do a little bit of romance here. Sonali Dev is releasing the fourth book in her Rajas series. This is the Emma Project. This is, um, so this series is about a family who are dealing with a whole bunch of stuff revolving around the family restaurant, um, the political career of one of the older sons. But all of these books are Jane Austen retellings. So we have like Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. Um, we have Incense and Sensibility. Um, there's another one with Persuasion, Recipe for Persuasion. And then this one is an Emma retelling, and it is the Emma Project. It is The Rajas, book four, by Sonali Dev. There is a new Abby Waxman book out this week. This is Adult Assembly Required. It is about a woman named Laura 
who ends up homeless and finds her way to a bookshop. And if you've read Waxman's books in the past, you will remember Nina Hill from The Bookish Life of Nina Hill, and she apparently plays a pretty big part in this book. So this one is Adult Assembly Required, and it's by Abby Waxman. We also have Beach House Summer. This is by Sarah Morgan. I know that Stacy and Sarah and Natalia really enjoy Morgan's writing. I want to check this one out as well as some of her other summer themed novels. But this one is about a woman whose husband has died and she learns that he also has impregnated another woman. Um, and so now she's of course trying to figure out who this woman is and like what does she owe her? Um, and how does she kind of put the pieces of her life back together? This is Beach House Summer, and it's by Sarah Morgan. Christina Lauren, they are releasing their latest book. This is Something Wilder. Christina Lauren, as you may know, is a writing team. Um, a lot of people here on Book Bistro really enjoy their work. I know Stacy has read some, Natalia, I think even Brooke has read at least one Christina Lauren. Um, but this one is about a treasure hunt and I guess like a fake treasure hunt. There's this company that takes people on fake treasure hunts and somehow people end up finding love rather than buried treasure, at least in this instance. So this is Something Wilder and it's by Christina Lauren. I have a couple of historical novels. We have The Witch's Tree by Elena Collins. This is a dual timeline novel that moves between the present day and 1692. Lots of mystery, magic, intrigue um, set in Somerset, so in England. This is The Witch's Tree and it's by Elena Collins. This next book I am so, so excited about. This is the latest novel from a group who call themselves Team W. They are Karen White, Beatrice Williams, and Lauren Willig. They are releasing The Lost Summers of Newport. This is, um, as this trio does, told in three separate timelines set in Newport, Rhode Island, where like back, you know, in the Gilded Age, we had so many of the nouveau riche kind of going for their like summer getaways. And so we follow a group of people who spend their summers on Newport. Um, I love each of these women separately as writers and also together. So this is one that I'm super excited about. It is The Lost Summers of Newport. It's by Karen White, Beatrice Williams, and Lauren Willig. Okay. So I have three YA books that I am rounding today's show off with. First up is See You Yesterday. This is by Rachel Lynn Solomon. It is a romance with a little bit of a, like a time travel, kind of the same day repeating itself over and over until our hero and our heroine get it right. Um, Rachel has been on the podcast before. I believe in 2020, all the like, years, especially the pandemic years, kind of run into one another for me. But I'm pretty sure it was in 2020 for the X Talk. 
But this one is See You Yesterday, and it's by Rachel Lynn Solomon. We also have The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School, and I think this is such a cool title. And as a lesbian who did not go to Catholic school, but who went to Catholic University, um, I just, I find so much to love about the synopsis for this book, the title of this book. It's about a Mexican-American girl who is, of course, a lesbian. She is trying to navigate everything about going to Catholic school and falling in love at the same time. So this is The Lesbiana's Guide to Catholic School by Sonora Reyes. And lastly, we have Once Upon a K-Prom. This is by Kat Cho. It's another YA romance. Um, and basically, it wonders, you know, what is kind of the average teenage girl supposed to do when the biggest K-pop star in the world invites her to prom? So if you were a teenage girl who dreamed of, like, a super famous guy swooping down and spiriting you off to prom so that you could show up all the mean girls who tortured you in high school, then this might be the book for you. This is Once Upon a K-Prom by Kat Cho. And that, my friends, is all I have for you today. This is a week that has so many good books out. I hope you are finding lots of great things to read. I hope that you are enjoying the spring weather, staying safe from COVID, and just basically all the things that go along with staying safe and healthy in today's crazy world. like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.